1: And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. How many of you know the story, The Little Engine That Could? The Little Engine That Could, that's that illustrated children's book. we probably all heard it, at least I hope we have. It was a great story, or it is a great story. It was first published here in the United States in 1930. And it's used to teach children the value of optimism and hard work. It is a story about a long train that must be pulled over a high mountain. Larger engines are asked in the story to pull the train, but for various reasons they refused. And the request was finally sent to the small engine, who agreed to try. And, of course, the engine succeeded, pulling the train over the mountain while repeating, I think I can't, I think I can't, I think I can't. <clears throat> Syracuse University football coach Greg Robinson he was fired in December of 2008 with two games left in the season he, he became a bit of a laughing stock because in a press conference after being fired he read the children's story The Little Engine That Could in order to illustrate that he still thought he could turn around the program he said That the job was not yet finished, and just like the little engine that could, he and the football program were still moving slowly up the mountain. Now, many made fun of him, but his mindset certainly was right. Our attitude and mindset make such a difference. Attitude equals altitude. How we think will determine how high we can go. Henry Ford said, if you think you can do a thing or think you can't do a thing, you're right. Now, I want us to consider the differences between hindrances and obstacles. Large mountain, that that train, little engine that could, had to get over that mountain, major obstacle, right? Now, you'd also be thinking hindrance, and they are similar in meaning, often used synonymous But I want to use these two words to represent two different kinds of challenges we face. As nouns, the difference between hindrance and obstacle is that hindrance is something which hinders, something that holds back or causes problems with something else, while an obstacle is something that impedes, it stands in the way of, or it holds up progress. The distinction I want us to make is this. An obstacle is physical. It is a physical reality, whereas a hindrance is mental. It is our mental response to a physical reality. It is the condition of my heart and spirit that makes obstacles insurmountable. For instance, an obstacle might be a hurdle uh, on a running track. It is a physical reality. It has a specific height and challenge to it. Now, a hindrance, however, might be the fact that I don't think I can jump over that hurdle. The one is real physical reality, whereas the other is only as real as we make it in our minds. So today, as we bring our study... as I bring this this thought to a a conclusion, this is a thought I've been working on on Sunday morning, uh, my sermons on the life of Paul. I've given a few of those here. But I want us to, to think about and bring to heart the lesson that Paul had lived an unhindered life. The Apostle Paul. He had an unhindered ministry. Now think about that. Did Paul have an unhindered life. You may be thinking right now, Chris, no way. He did not have an unhindered life. Well, that is true. I mean, uh, when you think about as far as obstacles and challenges go, he did have obstacles and he did have challenges. He, He faced all kinds of them. Persecution and beatings and opposition, physical suffering, shipwrecks, imprisonments. If he had all those obstacles, then how can we say he had an unhindered life in ministry. Well, it it comes back to attitude and mindset. Paul learned how to serve unhindered in the midst of all the obstacles and challenges. And so I want us to see how this lesson is illustrated and magnified in the final years of Paul's life. Now, Paul and his companions were on their way to Rome. Remember, I don't know if you well, you know the story of of uh, Paul in the book of Acts, but he's been arrested. He was in Caesarea for a while. Then he appealed to Caesar, and they're on his way there on that ship. They get uh, ship, or they get hit by that storm. God tells them He's promised them they're going to survive this. Everyone stay on board and until they run aground, and they they jump into water. They get to the island of Malta, and the Bible tells us that the islanders showed them unusual kindness and that they honored them in many ways. And when it was time to set sail again, they furnished the supplies they needed. And so we're going to pick up, well, in, in chapter 28, uh, we, we learn there they're stranded on the island for three months, they, they deal with some things there, but they finally, they, they wait a while, they get on another ship, they make it to Rome, and they finally reach there about five to six months. I actually want to start reading chapter 28, verses 17 to 30, for the sake of time. Starting in verse 17, it says, after three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me, because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar... Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you. For I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect... It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. unhindered. Hmm. So, a few days after arriving there in Rome, Paul called for a meeting with the Jewish leaders. He shared his story with them, only to discover <clears throat> that they had not heard about his situation. Paul then shared the gospel with them and told them about his calling and ministry. Like many of the Jewish audiences Paul has spoken to over the years, they listened with interest until he brought up the Gentiles. Then they were ready to leave. What do you think about the way Luke finished this story of Acts? You think it's strange that Luke would just you know just leave it like this with paul under house arrest waiting two years for a chance to appear before caesar where is the grand climax where what about paul uh, addressing the ruler of the roman empire very anticlimactic right paul was set free or was he convicted over the years christians and scholars have questioned why luke ends the story there some some think that Luke wrote the gospel in the uh, book of Acts as a defense for Paul to be used in his trial before Caesar. Hmm, maybe. Others thought that Luke ended at this point in Paul's history but planned on picking up the story in a third volume because everyone knows how much we love trilogies. Although we might not know all the reasons why he ended the story here, we can be sure he did it for a reason because of that last verse. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. You know that's the that's the very last Greek word in the actual Greek. It's unhindered. New American Standard puts it there too. Unhindered, unhindered. I don't think that was a coincidence. I have no doubt that Luke intentionally chose to end his account of the uh, acts with the good news about Jesus being proclaimed with openness and without hindrance. Maybe it is perfectly fitting that Paul was under house arrest, bound by circumstances, out of his control, and yet he was still fulfilling his responsibility to tell others about Jesus. Maybe that is a fitting conclusion because it challenges you and me. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, to tell the good news boldly and unhindered. That is what we are looking for, isn't it? Isn't that what we ought to be doing? Well, I thought about maybe going into, the, in, into Paul's life. You, and you, uh, after this, he, I believe he gets out. He, he, I think he does make it to Spain. Mm-hmm. He gets to go see Timothy and Titus on the island of Crete and does some more things. But it's only a few short years he gets arrested again by the Romans, by uh, under Nero. He is put into a dungeon. He is chained up, left there, and he's going to be executed. We, we think he was probably beheaded uh, in the year of 68. And then his spirit is taken to the heavens. But... <clears throat> When you think about all that Paul went through in the book of Acts, everything he did, would you say Paul is a great example for us to follow? Numerous times in his writings, he challenged us all to follow his example as he followed the example of Christ. We will be blessed in this world and in the next if we follow Paul's example. Now, we might conclude this lesson, you know, in series uh, that I've been doing for North Valley here and some of the ones I put here on the radio program by just kind of looking at all the examples that that, uh, we could follow of Paul's. But I want to focus on the way Paul lived an unhindered life and had an unhindered ministry. And let me remind you, keep in mind that by unhindered, I don't mean unencumbered. I'm not talking about having no obstacles or no challenges or no troubles. I'm talking about being unhindered in spite of obstacles and challenges and troubles. Paul armed himself with two attitudes that helped him to be truly, truly unhindered. The two attitudes were contentment and commitment. First of all, Paul's life and ministry were unhindered because of his attitude of contentment. When he wrote the book of Philippians during his two, first two years of house arrest there in Rome, he did not write that book while you know sipping iced tea through a straw, sitting quietly on the Aegean beach and basking in the sun. So, no, nothing like that. He wrote this letter confined in a, his own rented home, but he was chained to a Roman soldier. But nevertheless, the letter bubbles over with joy and rejoicing, not because of his circumstances are so great, but because his relationship with God and his resulting attitude are so good. In chapter 4, we read these well, the well-known verses in Philippians four ten to 13, when he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know How to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, notice, he says, I have learned to be content. Learned. doesn't come naturally. It is something that we must learn. It is something that Paul had to learn, and he had to cultivate. Through the power of Christ, Paul had learned how to encounter a broad spectrum of stressful and painful situations without letting circumstances impact him negatively. With God's help, he learned how to sustain an excellent attitude of contentment. And that contentment allowed him to rise above his circumstances and live beyond them. Ultimately, Paul's contentment came from trusting God. He knew that he belonged to God, was loved by God, and that God had had him where he wanted him and would provide for him and work through him, whatever the situation. That takes practice. But it is so important that we learn that kind of contentment. Life is hard, and we will often find ourselves in situations that are far less than ideal. Life can be difficult. It can be frustrating, and it will be painful and unbearable at times. Great temptation for us. There is great temptation for us when life is like that. It is is to allow circumstances to embitter us. Don't do that. When that happens, we allow that doom and gloom to characterize our outlook. Oh, we'll never make it. Unfortunately, when we live like that for too long it becomes a habit, doesn't it? And we can't imagine being able to think any other way. The good news is, if a man like Paul could live beyond his awful circumstances so can we. But Christ must become our central focus. And he alone can empower us and teach us to live above and beyond our circumstances. When we are armed with the right attitude, our external circumstances may not change, but deep within us, we will change. We will be at peace, and we will have joy and find strength. Number two, Paul's life and ministry were unhindered because of his attitude of commitment. Excuse me. Commitment. Uh, his primary commitment in life, serving and glorifying God. And that commitment instilled in Paul great determination and perseverance. Determination is determined, or I'm sorry, determined. Determination is defined as a quality that makes you continue trying to do or achieve something that is difficult. That kind of commitment and determination is clearly seen as Paul endured and overcame all kinds of persecution and obstacles to continue to spread the good news of Jesus. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he shared with them some of his travel plans. He said there in 1 Corinthians 16, For I do not wish wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. (laughs) Now, for most of us, those two things—a you know, a wide door—and has been opened in many people. There are many adversaries. Those two things do not go hand in hand, but they do for Paul. They certainly did. He was so committed and determined to accomplish God's mission that even opposition and challenges were viewed as. Opportunities, so when he wrote to the Philippians, he shared this positive development. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances being imprisoned in Rome, waiting to stand before uh, Caesar and not die, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Are you kidding, Paul? Nope, not kidding, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard. That's amazing and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That is amazing. Paul's attitude of commitment and determination caused him to just keep on serving God any way he could, no matter what the circumstances. Unhindered. Unhindered. And while Paul was chained to the Roman soldiers, as we normally say, you know, captive audience. We we generally think about that, but Paul's attitude. Here's another example. Uh, Johnny, uh, I cannot say her last name. Uh, Teta, Tata tada or something. She had she became paralyzed. This woman became paralyzed from her shoulders down after diving into shallow waters at the age of 18. It happened in 1967. She struggled for two years with rehabilitation. Lots of anger depression, suicidal thoughts, religious doubts. But she made peace with God and committed her life to him. She learned how to write and paint by holding a pen and brush in her teeth. Could you imagine doing that? After going through all your school, you're 18 years old. And now you got to relearn it all by using your mouth. Well, she did it. And since then, she has written over 40 books recorded several musical albums, starred in an autobiographical movie of her life, has a radio program, and founded a Christian organization that advocates for the disabled community. Unhindered. Do you think she had obstacles in her life? She sure did. But she's unhindered in mind and spirit. She's a great example of the difference between hindrances and obstacles. We give way too much power to the obstacles in our lives and not enough power to God. You know, um, let let me back up for a moment. The change of attitude for Paul, for Joni, was a simple change. It was simple, from hindered to unhindered. And it's always, I say it's simple because it's easy to say, but isn't it hard to do? Isn't it hard to do? How many obstacles and challenges do we have in life? How much do we hinder ourselves? I can't do that. I can't do this. I'll never be like this guy. I'll never be like that guy. And I can give you examples after example, and I have a lot of them. And I, I'll share you share with you a few from my life, and this is not, not one based on my Christian life. Well, I'll, I'll actually I'll give you one of those two, but let me start with this one. I was I think 19 years old. I was in the state of Tennessee with living with my dad. I was about ready to move out, and my aunt was there. And I remember I was at the cleaning up the table they, She was watching the TV, and Riverdance was the the big thing. Everyone was watching Riverdance back then, and it was on the TV. And I remember watching that, thinking. Man, I said it out loud, I didn't mean to, I just said, I wish I could do that. And my aunt looked back at me with this stunned look saying, you could never do anything like that. You'd have to learn that when you were a child. Oh man, that put a fire under me. And I was thinking, what do you do? I I could too if I wanted to. So when I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, I found the McGilliette School of Irish Step Dancing. (laughs) I know. I did it. But I did. Now, I may may not have been as good as those people, but I have gold medals and silver medals, uh, tons of them, of all the competitions I went to. And I did well. And I did learn it because of attitude. And I have always believed that, that anyone... Anybody can do anything they want as long as they put their mind to it. I do not believe there is not that there is a single person in this world that can't can't do something, and when they say that, I want them to go look at Johnny Tata this girl who was paralyzed from the shoulders down. You tell me you can't do it. you can't do it that's a lie. That's a lie that is a you're hindering yourself in the mind. You're that person running down that track, and you see the hurdle, and you start thinking, I can't do it. Well, just like Henry Ford said, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. That's exactly right. Paul knew he could. He knows we can because he knows whom he belongs to. He belongs to God. He is seated right there in the heavens, at the right hand of God, in Christ. In Christ. And that's where you and I are. If you have been baptized into Christ, then you are in Him. He is in you. I can do all things through Him, Christ, who strengthens me. And Paul knew that for himself. And and when you look at the uh, letter that Paul wrote to Titus, talking about the Cretans who are all lazy, gluttonous, liars, and evil beasts, but they can change their lives. And they have to. They must. If they want to remain in Christ. And so he told Titus, encourage them. Show them the good deeds. When Zenos the lawyer and Apollos come, help them out. And help them engage in good deeds. In fact, let me turn over there to the book of Titus in my Bible. Let me read the very end. This, this is uh, in chapter 3, after he's been encouraging them to do good deeds. In fact, let's, verse 1 says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Every one of them, every good deed. And then in verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for me. You can do it. Be unhindered. Be unhindered. Our people, verse 14, must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. That's you and me. But keep on, keep on, keep on, for the Lord Redeem the, the time it while it's still out, today. Thank you, out,
0: and God bless. Till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it, out, ring, it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. Be sure to check out the podcast for this program on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. To find it, just go to the website and click on the podcast link at the top of the page.